Welcome to Buff Stampede Radio. Wait, should I always enjoy having a mylar room? Of course, it's Adam Mustard. But you can't put that kind of pressure on your team. And they were so sick of hearing Dan, reading Dan Hoffman's quotes, listening to Dan Hoffman's audio. And we've got a job to do. I had to go out there every day and present you know, the material. You can't just cover spring ball without, with, with ignoring everything the head coach said. The transition <laughs> absolutely Welcome to Buff Stampede Radio. William Whalen here. I got the whole crew here tonight. Uh, we got assistant editor and myself, senior writer here, Ryan Konigsberg, the publisher of the famed BuffStampede.com, Adam Monster-Tiger, and of course our fan correspondent, Tyler Ziskin. And guys, we're talking basketball again today. Not exactly the, the cheeriest subject uh, for the last couple of weeks that we've done this show. Uh, of course, Spencer Dinwiddie and Trayshawn Fletcher out for extended time. Dinwiddie the season. Fletcher out for uh, anywhere from another four to another six weeks. And we've got a lot to talk about today. Obviously, Colorado goes on the road to Arizona and doesn't come away with a single win from that road trip, falling 69-57 to against the top-ranked Wildcats and 72-51 to against the Arizona State Sun Devils, what many see as a middle-of-the-pack Pac-12 team. And, of course, winning on the road is no easy task for anybody, uh, including top-ranked teams. You see it every year. They go down at one point on the road or another, and the quality of the opponent isn't always the best. But we're going to discuss what this team, this Colorado team, looks like right now and what the makeup of this team looks like right now. Uh, We're going to, of course, go over what happened over the weekend, kind of take a look at these two games and those two losses, uh, and then really give a full, in-depth look into what this team is without Spencer Dinwiddie. Not just what it looks like, uh, because, frankly, looks can be deceiving sometimes on the court. Uh, We're going to dive into really what this team is. Uh, We're going to even take a look at head coach Tad Boyle, uh, the guy who many around here think wa- thinks walks on water or has for much of his time in Boulder, and not to say that he, you know, he's all of a sudden not a good basketball coach, but we're going to look at some things that he's done uh, and some things that we feel like he may need to start doing uh, for this team to take the next step. Now, of course, we're going to take another look ahead. We did last time we did the show. We talked about the odds that we gave CU at making the NCAA tournament. Those odds look a lot, uh, frankly, bleaker after the last four games without Dinwiddie. Uh, We're going to talk about what kind of damage they can do, if any, in the conference as the season wraps up. And we're going to go into depth in that that regard of looking at what games we think they have the best chance of winning that can give them a good shot at making the tournament. So, guys, let's dive into it right now. Of course, they go 0-2 on the road trip down in Arizona. First impressions had to be that this team did not exactly look very good. Uh, Now, going into Tucson is the toughest place to play in this conference, in my opinion. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Not just the fans, uh, a sold-out arena of over 14,500 every single night. A place that obviously screams tradition when you walk on with the rafters that they have of retired numbers and Final Fours and championship banners as well. But you have a team that is ranked number one in the country for a darn reason. I think that was on full display uh, against the Buffaloes. Ryan, what were your impression of the Wildcats and kind of what they were able to do to see you? Um, I think, you know, they, they looked like uh, the number one team in the country, and Colorado looked like a team without their best player. It wasn't There was nothing t- too surprising about this. Um, I, just, I think the most... I guess surprising thing to me uh, from the weekend and just this time without Spencer Dinwiddie is I really thought this team was going to transform a little bit and players were going to take some new roles and we were going to see a different sort of team. But to me, it honestly just looks like the same buffs we've seen all year minus Spencer Dinwiddie, and that's that's something that has to change. I actually thought Colorado was going to lose to Arizona by 25 points. And we talked about that. Well, I think you had a similar prediction uh, before the the day before the game. And uh, so, I mean, obviously the game started out down that route, and and you thought it was going to be 20 points by halftime. But I actually was pretty encouraged by the Arizona game, actually, because you saw the fight and resiliency in the team. And then, I mean, we're going to talk about the Arizona State game, which was kind of the opposite. That looked like a boil coach team in the way that they were at least able to compete enough 
to not completely get run out of the building on the scoreboard. Yeah, I mean, I think what you saw has been an issue with us all season. We haven't really started well in quite a few of the games that we've played against the best teams, even a couple that we ended up finding a way to win. Um, It's hard to really gauge the rest of the game because, I mean, they had such a comfortable lead. Right. Immediately, I mean, it was 18-4, to four, and from that point on with a team like us without Spencer Dinwiddie, it's hard to really have any expectation that you're going to come back and make the game competitive. I think if you saw the final score, you know, 12 points, I, we covered. You know, so from that perspective, it's good. But I, we didn't compete at any point in the game. And, you know, without Spencer, I think we're going to have to find a way to stay in games for a longer period of time because if we let the home crowd get you know, get loud in the first five minutes of the first half. We're going to have a lot of trouble keeping up with teams on the road. Yeah, it's kind of like the uh, when CU played USC at home. I read a quote from Andy Andy Enfield after the game where he said, "Well, after they started twenty to two or whatever the score was, we actually played them shot for shot the rest of the game." I don't think that's like a, a real way you can look at right. whether a team competed or not. Would Colorado have been better off if they lost the game by twenty five points and maybe you had? Your, your starters out late in the game? Does that provide any benefit going I, into the next game? I mean, I don't know. I think I think if that was the case, you wouldn't have a guy like Xavier Johnson mouthing off to the press afterwards. Uh, because, you know, when you, when you try to fight back, and, you know, he obviously has the personal game that he had scoring the ball, which is by far his best offensive performance of the season and one of the best that we've seen in his career, you know, you have a team that is maybe a little bit humbled going into Arizona State. Um, even more so than they have been lately, you know, and so maybe they walk in there with a little bit more grit to them than they showed in Tempe. But ultimately, I mean, a loss by 25 and a loss by 12, where you weren't competitive, and I think Boyle knows that they weren't that competitive. I, I don't know that it changes much. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it changes much at all. Arizona probably could have put that game away much earlier yeah. if they really wanted to waste their energy. But you know, at the end of the day, they have a game at the end of the weekend that they need to get ready for. And, it, you know, despite what, you know, some me- you know measuring statistics say, no one really cares if you win by five or if you win by 30 at the end of the well, year. Well, if you're in Las it's, Vegas with the... Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, yeah. But, I mean, you know, from a, from a program perspective... And Arizona needed every bit of energy they yeah, had exactly. against Utah. I mean, you, 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 you know, they had the game in hand pretty early. There's no reason to push yourself beyond yeah. that point, I mean, at least in my eyes. And against uh, Arizona State, guys, we talked a little bit about this before the show. That was not a competitive basketball game. I mean, sure, the score was a little bit close early, I guess, you know, but this was a team that was clearly, at least early, affected by the shot-blocking presence of Jordan Pachinski. Uh, defensively, they... I wouldn't say they were bad defensively. I mean, they caused some turnovers. They got in passing lanes. They had one of their best performances of the year in terms of stealing the ball. Um, they rebounded adequately. You know, a guy like Jacobson for Arizona State getting six rebounds in ten minutes is horrid. You know, but ultimately, what did them in, in my opinion, at Arizona State was the fact that they were so unbelievably careless with the ball on the offensive end. And it, because it, ultimately, if you take bad shots and, and you struggle from the field, that's going to happen on nights. But you can overcome that by taking care of the ball and not having 16 or 17 or 18 turnovers in somebody else's building. But Colorado couldn't do that. They, they had a stretch in the first half where they got, they caught, probably caused three straight turnovers and then got two more stops and turned the ball over four times and took a completely ridiculous Askia Booker behind the back dribble 19 foot pull up contested with 30 seconds of the shot clock. I mean those are terrible empty possessions that you can't have on the road. Yeah I I told someone um, after the loss to UCLA that Colorado looked like Colorado normally looks like on the road at home and when that happened I said if that's what they look like at home, it could get ugly on the road. Right. And Arizona State was the perfect example of how ugly that team has the potential to be on the road. Um, and to me, it just can't. They they don't really have anyone that can make shots other than a Skia Booker. And if Skia Booker's not making them, then it's Josh Scott or nothing. Yeah. So you know that's going to happen to this team. I think on nights when a Skia Booker isn't making shots, and. That's kind of a, just a dangerous preposition in its own because we all know how streaky Ski can be. So Arizona State, um, that game kind of just showed me like the what this team was going to look like on yeah. the road, when, especially when they're not able to make shots. 
Yeah, Arizona State, it's not that great of a a basketball team. So when you look at their schedule, and we're going to get more in-depth into this later, but there's certain games you look, okay, this is one they might need to steal. This is a a game they they really need if they're going to still be an NCAA tournament team, and that's one of those games that you would highlight in that sense. Yeah. And so to show up there and turn the ball over 19 times and and miss, what, 15 free throws, I mean, you're not going to beat anybody like that. So there's really, I mean, you're searching for any positives from that game, and I just don't see them. Yeah, there are no positives from that game whatsoever. I mean, you I don't know that there is a team, especially in this conference, that you're going to win a game. If you shoot 37% from the free throw line, 18% from three, and turn the ball over almost 20 times, you're not beating anyone. And yeah. it, like, you're not doing anything. You're going to lose to some good D2 teams. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have empty possessions. That's like, where are the good possessions with yeah. those kind of stats? You know, like, you're doing nothing at all. The entire game when you have stats like that. And it's just, I mean, it starts with the guard play, you know, like they, they have to find a way. We have to have possessions. 19 turnovers cannot happen with this team. We're not getting out in transition or scoring enough points from the free throw line to yeah. be able to overcome that number. I think if you're, if you're digging for one positive out of that game, uh, I think Josh Scott kind of figured out uh, his offensive game against Jordan Bachowski yeah. late in the game. Yeah. And I mean, they're going to have him at least one more time this season. And, and I think that's important because. That's a game at home that they need to win, you know, going forward for them. And and Josh Scott gained the confidence against Jordan Bachinski, a guy he really struggled with as a freshman, is going to be big for them. And when you look at this team's identity or lack thereof, I think that what I see out of this group is bad guard play and not enough post play. You know, you cannot, you cannot have your starting five turn the ball over 16 times, and you cannot have Wes Gordon only take five shot attempts. You know, I I like the aggressiveness of Xavier Johnson right now. He looks more assertive than he ever has this year. And I think that's a positive for them. You know, and for a guy like him, five turnovers may just be a result of being aggressive. And, yeah, you need to cut down on that, but you don't want to take away his new mindset. But West Gordon needs to see the ball more on offense, I think, on the block. Less up top, dribbling around, trying to pass off to guys. More on the block where he's actually... Fairly effective. He does a really good job of going to the middle with either hand and drawing contact and getting to the line. He's very effective at that. So I think that's an area where he needs to see the ball more. Uh, And you need to find your guards kind of happy place. You need these guys to somehow be able to corral themselves mid-game when things are getting hectic. And basically find a way to collectively bring the calming influence that Spencer Dinwiddie was able to do alone. Because that way, maybe it takes a bit of the pressure off of a guy like Askia. Maybe it takes the pressure off of a guy like Jerron Hopkins. But right now, this team is a team with really rough guard play and not enough post play going forward. Yeah, to me, I think this team's identity is that they don't have their identity anymore, and that's the problem. Um, their identity, when they had Spencer and Winnie going, what, there was a, they're a defensive and rebounding team, and that's what Tad Boyle talks about as their identity all the time. And now, all of a sudden, you know, they lose Spencer and Winnie, and all of that goes out the window. Um, you know, I feel like all these players are, are very focused on the offensive end right now and kind of letting out what has gotten them to this point, which is defensive rebounding. So I think going forward... That's the biggest thing for Tad Boyle to be able to do is to get these players to stop thinking about offense and get them back to that mindset of when you play defense and you rebound, the offense will come together. Yeah, I'm going to say um, the team identity right now is a Skia Booker, a noun, but I'm going to kind of turn that into an adjective in the, in the sense that his game is inconsistency, and I think that's what this, this team's uh, identity is right now. Um, you look at the one game that they actually have won since Spencer Dinwiddie went down, and it's that game against USC where Askia Booker had kind of had that, that that Dinwiddie-esque type of game where he was really efficient, had six assists, and, and uh, got to the free throw line. So I think uh, that's kind of where this team is at going forward. And you've got a lot of guys, obviously, that have to play a bigger role, but they're not ready for it. So Askia Booker is kind of what I would say is their team identity. You heard Tad Boyle say after that USC game that our identity is and always will be defense and rebounding. Well, you go out to Arizona and Arizona State and Arizona both shoot 49% against you and you don't out-rebound either team. So clearly that's what he's always going to want this team's identity 
identity to be, but it's not right now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think defense and rebounding is really kind of the name of the conversation here. And the one person that we rely on heavily to do that is definitely Wes Gordon. And for me, he hasn't been good enough. You know, obviously he's a freshman, and sometimes you forget that just because he's been around the program a little longer than some of these guys. But I know you talked a little bit earlier about him going up against Jordan Machinsky. I think you have to trust that Josh Scott can go up against any big man and neutralize him at the very least. Wes's job is to beat the other guy who's starting on the other end of the front court. And when he, Eric, Eric Jacobson has 6.6 rebounds and Wes Gordon had 7.6 rebounds, and Eric Jacobson is not – like, he's not a threat in the Pac-12. He, he needs to be able to win those matchups and be more effective for us. I mean, I definitely agree that he needs to get the ball more in the post, but, I mean, he's going to have – he really needs to step his game up because, you know, like, for, for me, you're talking about the turnovers. Askia Booker having six turnovers obviously isn't a good stat. But if someone's going to have six turnovers, I want it to be him because it's proving that he has the ball in his hands – and that's what we need for this team. I mean, he also had five assists, five steals. The, the issue becomes Xavier Johnson and Jaron Hopkins both have five turnovers. They don't have the ball nearly enough to right. be turning the ball over five times a game. But that's, you can't get five turnovers from your lead guard. No, yeah, six, I, I agree. I'm just, I'm just saying you don't want that. But, I'm, but it, he has the ball. And there are going to be games where he has turnovers because now he has to be the point man for this team. The other guys around him have to be more efficient. And Jaron and Xavier Johnson have to do a better job cutting and getting open because with the ball in their hands, they're really not that great. They're not dribblers. So they need to find other ways to get open. And I think some games this is going to have high turnovers. It's just how he plays. The other guys can be definitely more efficient with the ball because they don't, they're not handing the ball as much as the ski is going to be for this team. We've kind of talked about what they've been struggling with. And if you had to pick one area of this team that they've struggled, uh, of the game that this team has struggled with the most, what would you go with? Because, I mean, my first thought was. Obviously, you know, guard play has been, you know, not very reliable. Uh, free throw shooting has certainly, well, against USC, they shot the ball pretty well from the free throw line. Um, free throw shooting hasn't been great. Outside shooting hasn't been very good either. In overall, shooting hasn't been uh, this team's forte without Spencer Dinwiddie. They're not scoring the ball, but uh, defensively, they've also been rough. But I'm going to rebound. And for me, I look specifically at two games. Arizona State and UCLA. They were going to get out-rebounded by Arizona, most likely. Arizona is probably the best rebounding team in the country. That team is relentless on both ends. Now, against USC, they obviously win the rebounding battle, but that's USC. And and you, you do that against USC. <laughs> USC's not going to pose a big threat. Against Arizona, I think, Tyler, the, the point that you made about Jacobson, and I know I talked about it earlier, was... Six rebounds from him in the way that he got him. He got him all within 10 minutes. That's unacceptable. And it was during that stretch in the first half <coughs> that it went from a game that CU was kind of in, you know, neither team were playing very well, but CU was well within striking distance. The game had yet to get into its flow and settle down. But Eric Jacobson comes in, and he gets six rebounds in 10 minutes, and all of a sudden it goes from a, you know, CU might be up a point here, then they're down two, then they're down three, to all of a sudden down seven or nine right before going into the half. I mean, you can't you can't lose that battle at that point in the game. You can't lose the rebounding battle to Jordan Adams of UCLA. Now, he's since that game, he has even made more of a conscious effort to be a rebounder for them. So, obviously, that was kind of a sparking moment for him. But going into that game, you can't let the, that spark game be against you. When you're Colorado, when you're on the, your home floor, when your identity, quote-unquote, is supposed to be defensive rebounding. I've been extremely disappointed with the rebounding of this team because, guess what? Spencer Dinwiddie was not a big rebounder. He averaged under, what, under three rebounds a game? Or just over? 3.2 maybe? Probably three, yeah. I mean, you can't sit there and tell me that Spencer Dinwiddie was the key to the rebounding of this team. Askia Booker is a better defensive rebounder than Spencer Dinwiddie. He chases down loose balls. He'll mix it in with the big guys. Josh Scott is a very good re- defensive rebounder. X Johnson, Wes Gordon, namely Jerron Hopkins. Where are those guys? Where is this team's rebounding? And that's got to be my biggest disappointment. I think, yeah, I think what they've struggled with most is shooting. You kind of mentioned it a little bit, but... Um, I mean, guys that were making shots, Jerron Hopkins w- was making shots um, when, when he was getting the ball kicked to, to him from Spencer and Winnie, and all of a sudden now he 
you know, he can't hit water if he fell out of the boat. So that's one of the, it's one of those things. I think you know when uh, when Jaron Hopkins gets the ball from Spencer and Whitney in the corner, it's like Spencer and Whitney has confidence in me. I have confidence right. in myself. Right. I'm gonna knock this down. Now it's kind of like, oh, I need to make this. We need this shot right now. And that's when you that's when you kind of start forcing it. And like I said, that's when the guys start focusing on the offense then. But I mean. There is no one on this team besides Ski and X Johnson has hit a couple, but no one is making shots right now. And, you know, unless you're feeding it to Josh Scott 50 times a game, you have to make some outside shots. So, you know, they're, they're, to me, that's where they're struggling most, and that's where something has to click. You know, uh, an X Talton starting to knock down some shots. Um, yeah. You know, if. Jerron Hopkins can start doing too. Or if Ski can go on a nice long hot streak, that's going to be something that this team needs. They're not going to be able to win games, you know, shooting 18% from three. No. I'm going to go with uh, turnovers, and it's something that's been brought up already. And it's not really a surprise, I think, when your starting point guard goes out that you're not going to handle the ball as well. But 64 turnovers in four games, and not just that number, but the fact that their opponents in each of those games have had less turnover. So you're talking about a lot of possessions the other team is getting that you're not getting. And uh, when you don't have your Spencer Dinwiddie, the efficiency of him on offense, you need as many shots as you can get. So that's the area that I'm going to go with. Yeah, I think, I mean, sadly I was talking about this on Twitter as the game was kind of dwindling down. I'm not sure there's one part of the game right now that you can point to and say Colorado is good at this right now. And that's a bad sign, you know. I mean, we talk about our defense has been struggling, and I, to some degree I agree with that. But when you turn the ball over 16 times a game, it makes it tough to play defense. You know, people are going to get out in transition. You, have, you get yourself in disadvantages. And, I mean, the rebounding thing has been an issue too. I mean, Jai Carson had four offensive rebounds in that game, which probably should never, ever happen. I mean, he's the smallest dude on the court pretty much every time he plays. And, you know, I mean, you even look at their bench, um, Jonathan Gilling, who's an okay rebounder, but that's, that's the other guy that West or Xavier Johnson, one of the two, is probably guarding most of the game, and he had five rebounds too. Like, we're supposed to be a rebounding team. We can't be at getting out-rebounded by these two guys, especially Gilling, who spends a lot of his time on offense on the perimeter, so he's not going to get a lot of offensive rebounds. Um, yeah, and it's, at this point, you know, Everything is a concern, and but I mean, I, re- I really think it it, go- it goes back to the turnovers is the main the main catalyst. I mean, it makes it tough to do anything when you're playing on your heels the whole game because you just turn the ball over. You're trying to scramble back on defense. Guys, who has been the, t- the biggest disappointment since this happened? Uh, I mean, since Dinwiddie went down. I mean, I I think for me, uh, I would have said Xavier Johnson before the Arizona game. And frankly, even before the Arizona State game, I mean, he, you know, yeah, I, I thought he would be, I thought he would have a much better sophomore year overall than he's had, anyways. But, you know, I think it's easy to point the finger at Booker. I think it's easy to do that, um, and I, I don't know that I'm necessarily ready to do that yet. I would look at a guy like Wes Gordon uh, because I have probably been the biggest Wes Gordon defender through the year. Uh, I think he does a lot of things that go unnoticed. Uh, you know, he's averaging nearly four blocks a game in Pac-12 play. Uh, you know, he's been extremely, extremely effective in that regard. But the thing that he has not done a good enough job at is providing a scoring punch and taking care of the ball. Uh, because against Arizona State, that was the first time he hasn't turned the ball over in Pac-12 play. I mean, you look at the four games preceding that. And he had nine turnovers from your power forward. Now, he is tasked with handling the ball up top probably more than he's comfortable with. I get that. But passes out of the post. Passes to the opposite wing from the post. Dribbles that are lost. He's turning the ball over far, far too much. And he simply hasn't been a scoring option for this team enough since then when he went down. Now, obviously, he has the big game against Washington. Much of that damage was done in the first half. So I'm going to strike that one from the record. You sit here and look at the four games since then, 14 points total. 14 points. You're going to tell me your starting power forward is only going to give you three and a half points a game? Now, part of that, for my opinion, is not getting enough looks against Arizona State, against USC, and UCLA. He goes 0 for 6 against Arizona. You know, that's the best front line he's ever played, but, you know, that's the best front line a lot of people have played. 
you got to show up. I look at him as probably the biggest disappointment because for this team's identity to transfer to a low-post offensive team, which I thought it should, he's going to need to step up, and he hasn't. Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with that. I mean, you know, I've been less of a West Gordon fan than probably most people have this year, and he is obviously extremely important for this team to continue going forward. I think right now for me, though, because a lot of the other answers are so obvious, I'm going to talk about Tad Boyle because I feel like, obviously, yeah, he's still a good coach. I'm not, you know, like I'm going to talk that I'm going to talk about him here, but it's, I'm not trying to say he's terrible at his job or anything like that. I just, I just think um, right now we haven't made enough adjustments. We're putting too many people in positions where they can't be successful. I mean, Gerard Hopkins is going to be a very good player at some point in his career at Colorado. But right now, he has the ball in his hands too much. He's trying to create too much off the dribble. There should be no game where he's getting getting five turnovers a game. Like he, he, he's getting put in positions where he can't succeed. I think right now, um, also... Eli Stoller's playing too many minutes. I mean, you look at what he's done so far. I mean, obviously, I'm, I like Xavier Talton, and I think Ski needs to play as much as he can, too, but he's getting too much time right now. I mean, he's he's in 60 minutes since Spencer's injury, or the last four games since they've been out, he has two assists. I mean, he goes into the game literally to pass the ball to other people. <laughs> the Two assists, five turnovers is all he's done the entire time. He's got 14 points. He's not making threes, and he's not guarding anyone. He has zero steals. Over that stretch as well, Xavier Talton has his bumps. There's no doubt he can be turnover prone at times. But right now he's better than Eli, and he needs more minutes because we need another ball handler on the court because no one else can do it. So I mean, we don't have that ball handling. It's got to be more, you know, by committee. And he's the other guy on this team that you can rely on to break a pass and to you know to get the ball up the court. Besides just being a book. For me, the biggest disappointment is not a player or an aspect of the game. It, it's, it is a game. It's the Arizona State game because if you really look at it, looking back to when Spencer got hurt um, at Washington, I don't think anybody expected them to, to win that basketball game, being heartbroken in that situation. UCLA, yeah, that was a winnable game, but that's a borderline top 25 team. You blow out Southern Cal, you weren't going to beat Arizona on the road, maybe even with Spencer, didn't we? Right. So to me, it comes down to that, that game in Tempe and just how disappointing that was because if they win that the the tone of this entire show is it's different is 180 percent different yeah so it's a, it's a that's basically the the disappointment the way I look at things right now and um, going forward there's going to be games like that Arizona State game that are going to be absolutely critical uh, for this team if they want to go to the NCAA tournament and they can't uh, lay an egg like they did down in Tempe yeah I think the the biggest disappointment has been Jerron Hopkins <coughs> I know you think this is kind of a, uh, a coaching thing of him not being put in the right spots, but I think kind of what what Tad, you know, I, I picture Tad sitting him down and saying, "We're gonna, we're kind of gonna throw you in the fire, and I want to see how you respond." And I think Tad has kind of put him in a position to try and you know force him to take care of the ball, yeah. force him to you know be able to bring the ball up, uh, safely, and I I, I don't think Jerron ha- has responded to that very well. Um, I think he, uh, out of all the players, I think he's regressed. Since the uh, since the loss of Spencer Dinwiddie, when really this team needed him to you know get a lot better and take his game to the next level, so you know for him you say you know regressing to the mean when when he's not making shots, but to me it's kind of one of those things where he is not handling the added pressure on him uh, very well at all, and I think it's in his head, and to me that that's the most disappointing thing. Tyler, you brought up the subject of Tad Boyle. And we're going to dive into that right now. Um, there's been a lot of chatter on the Buff Stampede message board about Tap Boyle and about the players that he needs to start recruiting and you know so on and so forth. <coughs> but ultimately, before we can address his maybe failures to recruit a knock-dead shooter, we need to talk about what he's doing with this team. And... I put on the production plan, and Tyler sent me a text message about this this morning, and I, and I wanted to wait until now to address it. He said, on the production plan, the first thing under the Boyle segment says, biggest successes without Dinwiddie. And Tyler texted me, he's like, what does that even mean? Does that even make sense? <laughs> and I think it does, for this reason. Because I don't care if you guys have an answer for this, I do. So really, you know, this is, this segment is about me. <laughs> like so much of this show off. Topics. I was about to say what segment isn't. Right, right, right. <laughs> the biggest success without Dinwiddie that Tad Boyle has had, I think, 
is in fact showing his players what he needs them to be, what they can be in this program. <coughs> if you guys remember, Spencer Dinwiddie's freshman year, he was off the ball. He was not a primarily ball handler for much of the year. Now he spent some time handling the ball with Nick Tomlinson, but as the year went on, he didn't have his best games late, especially in the Pac-12 tournament. He struggled a bit. You, know, you, you think about the game against Oregon where he was getting blocked at the rim every single time <coughs> he took the ball in there. And so what I mean by showing these players what they can be and what they need to be in this program is he is selling his vision right now to the players in his program and to the players in high school. Because his vision is, you come into my program and I will develop you. You will not be the same guy by year two that you were year one. When you are a player in our program, you will not be always faced with the luxury of just coming off the bench. You will find opportunity here. You will also be tasked with things that maybe at other programs you wouldn't be tasked with. When he looks at Jordan Hopkins and said, look, Arizona State did not offer you in high school. Your, a team that was 10 miles away from your high school did not offer you. You're here at Colorado, and I am giving you the opportunity, despite whatever failures you have your first shot at it. I am giving you this opportunity, and I am not backing down from this opportunity. I'm not backing down from the opportunity to switch up everything I do as a coach to win this year. Whether or not he believes he can win this year or not. But to say, you know what? No one year is worth more than the process. And I think he has done that every single year at Colorado. He brought in his system, played guys his way. The first year with Alec Burks and Corey Hayes. The next year, <coughs> he did things his way. Last year, his way. And I think he has done a masterful job of, the wins aren't going to come as often right now. But the reality is, is the success that I'm talking about will be seen next year. When Xavier Talton, halfway through the season, when Dom Collier is hitting the freshman wall, all of a sudden has to step into a role that I don't think many people in this market are comfortable with, which is a starting point guard, he will be so much better prepared for that next year than he is now. Jerron Hopkins, maybe he's the guy who starts day one next year. Maybe he's the guy, hey, I know we're bringing in a four-star point guard, and I, and I, I expect Collier to start. But nonetheless, these guys that are being placed in roles that they're not comfortable with right now, the success is the fact that Boyle is willing to do that. He is willing to take the punches this year because I believe he knows that it will pay off next year when this team, again, has another chance to compete in the Pac-12 and naturally. That's, that's the success without Tidway. Anybody. So now we can move on to failures. <laughs> all right, all right, fair enough. So, well, here's the thing, though, is, you know, obviously there, there's a lot of criticism to be thrown out. There's not a manual for your best player on offense, defense, your leader goes out in the middle of the season. You've been preparing him all along for him to be in there. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think, honestly, the good thing about this is that Colorado fans are, are spoiled in the sense that they're used to now winning and the fact that they're struggling, I think that's – somehow lends itself to a positive to what Boyle has built here. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I can disagree with anything that either of you have said. But, okay, I hate to pick on Eli, but there is no, hopefully there is no point that we ever need him to play significant minutes if his vision, you know, if if Ted Boyle's vision happens, Eli Stoller's not playing minutes for us. Those minutes can go elsewhere. And... Xavier needs those minutes. I agree 100%, but he's not. He's getting 15 minutes a game still. That's not enough minutes. I mean, Eli played 12 last night. Why are they playing the same amount of minutes? And Jerron is getting the ball too much compared to Xavier. Put them both on the ball, Xavier and Eli, or, and Eskia Booker together, and let Jerron play off the ball. There's plenty of time for him to develop ball handling skills. And obviously I don't, I don't think that's at a, some point. I don't think that's a ridiculous notion whatsoever. But... I think that's more of an alternate solution as opposed to the solution. Yeah, from your point, yeah, there's no manual, but I think we know that the manual isn't to do exactly what we've been doing all season with him. But how do you change mid-year? I think Ted Boyle is honestly, 
he will admit himself, he's kind of a stubborn coach. Mm-hmm. He yeah. has his way of as all his great philosophy. coaches are. So he, yeah, he's not going to just throw that out the window now. Um, with Eli Stalzer, um, I, I think maybe there's a part of Tad Boyle that maybe thinks if he gets some playing time that the, the guy that showed up on campus that first summer and could knock down a shot really he was, consistently. He was much really better good. than Xavier Tolton for the first couple months that they were on I campus. Think you, I think given the situation, you almost have to take that chance to see if that's possibly there. I don't know what's happened to Eli, if it's a confidence thing, but he can shoot. He just has not been shooting right. very well. Yeah, I, my thing is, how do you how do you justify completely restructuring your team mid-year? I don't think you. I don't think he had to in these first four games. I think now he has to realize that that is not working, and he ha- you got him. But what's the upside if it uh, of uh, of an adjustment? What's the upside? Well, Maybe in the know. tournament. Yeah, I mean, really with this squad. I think it's it possible. Is. I mean, you got to make. Don't you have to make some change? I mean, th- we did a lot of work this season to literally just give up, right? Is that? I'm not, not- saying you give up, but I'm saying, I what I'm saying is you don't all of a sudden sell your soul as a program, as a coach, <laughs> to to completely change the identity of what you do. But is it really selling your soul <coughs> to say, Jerron, you're not quite ready to dribble? It's Get you as a slasher role as the three right now. But to well, Will's point, they're they're trying to build on not giving up on the season, but they're building towards next year. No, I agree. He definitely always coaches. So if you future. get rid of your identity at this point, then you're having to reshuffle back. Yeah, to the deck I, next I think year. it does more damage than anything because all of a sudden you are teaching Jerron, hey, you can't handle the ball right now. And I agree, he he is not built right now to be a primary ball handler against Pac-12 guards. But so what? You're going to move him to the three and have him be a slasher for the rest of the year. And then what do you do with him next year when you when you still need him to be a ball handler next year? When you need sophomore Jerron Hopkins to be there, how do you how do you change him? I mean, he's gonna have the ball at some point. I just think he needs to have the ball less. I, I think I, I personally I think Xavier needs more minutes. As simple Talk. as that. Yeah, I think he needs more minutes because Askia is gonna be the primary ball handler, but somebody else that can help in that scenario needs to be on the court more often. It's not that I don't like Jerron Hopkins as a player. I just feel like these la- it's unfair to him because he's going to get – I mean, how could you not get frustrated, you know? It, he's a pretty resilient kid from, yeah. I think, well, what we've all – Yeah, I was – You know what I mean? No, it's – What's it's, his biggest – what is – so your big thing – is not he's, always going to be in the game, right? He's going to get minutes where he's handling the yeah. ball. I, I just think you kind of have to ro- switch their roles around. And maybe give Xavier an opportunity to handle the ball more consistently. He hasn't. He hasn't. He still hasn't gotten enough consistent minutes to really say, okay, he can't do this, or he can't do this. I mean, obviously he's limited. He's never going to be probably a, a starting guard, or at least we hope not. But, but I, I think he hasn't gotten from game to game consistent minutes to say, can he help us here more times than not? So your big thing with Boyle is give Xavier Tolton more minutes. Handling the ball and less to draw on Hopkins. Tyler, would you say is that your big? Do, thing? do you really think Xavier Tolton's ceiling's higher than John Hopkins though? No, but but I think so. Then why would you? But okay. they play different roles. I mean, I don't think Jerron is every. They, they don't really play the same game. I guess you can say next year you're still going to need Xavier Tolton to play back up. Both of them play the exact I, same role. They don't shoot the ball from the outside. They don't penetrate to the basket. They, they they're passive on offense and they're. Solid defenders, but we don't want Jerron playing point guard, right? <coughs> you, you you want him to be your either one or two guard when Don Collier is a sophomore. You, you okay? So because to me, Xavier's going to be the guy who plays backup point guard. So I want him handling the ball, and Jerron can rely more heavily on how do I help my how do I get more buckets from the perimeter? How can I help my point guard? How can I he is him? not a bucket getter from the perimeter. He never will be. He never has been. In high school, he was insanely inefficient. In, in club ball, he was insanely inefficient scoring the ball from the perimeter. He's not a perimeter scorer. He is either a ball handler or an undersized three. He's one of those two things. He will never be a shooter. I mean, not to say he never will be a shooter, but he's one of those two things. And so you either transform him into that three and force then Xavier Talton next year will be your backup point guard, and you're going all in for Booker at the two next year on a starting backcourt that totals 12 feet 4 inches. Or you're going to let him take his lumps this year 
and watch and watch to see how he responds because in the offseason, if he does if he does not if he never steps up this year in the offseason, you're working with him on that. If he steps up, then you have that aha moment. Xavier Johnson was terrible in the non-conference last year. He didn't get it. He didn't get college basketball. I don't think, but he had more tools with his size and his strength than Jerron does. Jerron might get it, and I think you need to wait until he does, personally. That is my personal opinion. I think if there's any big complaint against Boyle, it's, it's inexcusable for George King to get two minutes against Arizona State. If, you're, if your identity is defense and rebounding, how do you not have your best rebounding wing outside of Xavier Johnson on the bench? I, if you're going to win with defense and rebounding, because George King is not a great offensive player. He doesn't handle the ball very well. He's not altogether quick, but he's long. He's athletic as hell. He will get you offensive rebounds, defensive rebounds. He'll knock down a few threes. Isn't that exactly what this team needs right now? I mean, am I crazy? No, I mean, I no. agree with that 100%. And like I said, I don't have <coughs> I don't have all the answers. There's no I've said no. I think we have to try something, to me. But, like, like I said, I'm not trying to say Jaron needs to sit on the bench and play two minutes a game. Not even close. I'm, I'm just – we have to switch something up because whatever we're doing right now is not working. That's, that's basically what I was going to say on it. And you kind of talked about Boyle being stubborn as a positive thing. And I think in certain um, aspects it is a positive thing. But at, at this point he kind of has to, um, you know, take his medicine and just try something. I mean – whether you're building for next year or, or what, you you still have to try and win now. And I think, you know, whether it's drawing up more offensive plays, actually, you know, f- having plays to get the ball into the post instead of just saying, hey, go go get the ball on the post. They ran more plays. I, I, I agree they needed more. They did run a bunch against Arizona State. Yeah, and that's, that's a step towards it. I mean, maybe they need to play more zone because they can't really guard anyone right now, like, in terms of guards, they're, they, I mean, G.K. Carson went right by them so many times in that game and was. Uh, I, think I agree they need to mix in more. So they were really effective in the zone against Arizona. Very. I mean, I just think there, there's a point where you, have to, where you have to say, we need a win now. And I think the fans in Boulder are going to start clamoring for that. I think you can't just throw in the towel halfway through the season when, you know, you had probably the best non conference. That you ha- ever had as a school, you have to try. You still have your goal. Still has to be to make the NCAA tournament, and you have to do whatever it takes to get there. I don't think one game means he's throwing in the towel just because they perform poorly in Tempe. Now, if they come home these three home games and still <coughs> you're seeing that type of performance, but no, I, I mean I kind of said my piece on this already. I actually like the fact that the, these college kids know. The, what the philosophies of this program are, and they're not going to change, and they're going to be able to build towards next year. I, I don't think I think you can do some of that without completely giving up on this year. And if worst case scenario, you, you go to the NIT and host a game or two. I mean, that's in the big picture, that's not the end of the world. Because ultimately, a lot of this team is freshmen or sophomores. I mean, what are you teaching the five freshmen that you have? Four, five, five. Good Lord, math is not my strong <laughs> What are you teaching the five freshmen that you have about their future in Boulder? If you, not saying that you just, you know, change up absolutely everything that you do or anything, but if you turn into a zone-heavy team for the rest of the year, for example, and I, and I think they need to play more zone, what are you teaching those freshmen going forward? What, what they are going to miss what, 10 games of live game Pac-12 action of man-to-man defense? And granted, I think when Trayshawn Fletcher comes back, there's a much better man-to-man defense team. Trayshawn Fletcher erases other... People don't realize how good he is defensively with the matchups that he allows the Boyle to create. All of a sudden, you can put Trayshawn Fletcher on a 2 and put Jerron on a 3, which he's much better suited to play against against anybody but Arizona. So... I think that will improve, but that's why I think that you stick to your guns right now in the major areas. Tinkering with lineups, yeah, I, 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 can, I can mess with that. But I think you stick to your guns as a coach right now because you make these freshmen learn by fire. You make them go through the trials and tribulations of a tough grind, getting better at what you do. Because by the time, because George King, if he stays in Boulder, and that's not hinting at anything, I'm just saying, he hasn't played a lot. If he stays in Boulder, by the time he's a senior, 
He will have that experience. Dustin Thomas, terrible man-to-man defender right now. He will have that experience when he's a junior. These things pay off so much bigger down the road, and you have to win now. I agree. But I don't think that it's... I don't... I'm not going to sit here and say that they can't win now doing these things. I guess that's my big point. They can still win doing these things. Granted, they might... If they go out and lose their next three home games, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll have maybe a different thought on that about whether they can do it now. Well, if they do that, then they might as well just yeah, throw in the towel and play so for next year. I mean, that's they can what just I'm Josh Scott the rest of the year and play all their freshmen. They'll so, be really good, right? So, I, obviously there's a lot to this, and we could talk more about this. I think we should do a fact or fiction about this at a certain point because we all have pretty strong opinions on this. and I think it, I think it would make for good uh, some good content, some good discussion, but we got to move on. Into our looking ahead section. We've kind of started to already. But, guys, the big question is this. The big question is, is the big dance out of the question now? Is it gone for this team? Really? I mean, obviously, it's still mathematically possible, you know, and all that. I get that. You know, it's like, you know, in, in what is it? June in baseball when you're out of first by 25 games. You're not mathematically eliminated, but the Cubs aren't making the playoffs this year. Sorry, Adam. Um, <laughs> I'm used to it. <laughs> used to it. I, so, I guess it comes down to this. It, Adam, we'll start with you, because I feel like you haven't talked much in a while. Um, is this team going to make the big dance? Well, we had that show after um, Spencer got hurt, and I had a percentage still high, yeah. 60%. I think I was That's why I started with you. the more optimistic yeah. in this group. And obviously, I mean, after watching what happened in Tempe on Saturday, it's, it's gone way, way down from there. Um, I, I, you can't say it, it's out of the question, um, not just from the mathematical sense, but they've got three games on their home court coming up, and they could theoretically win all three of those. Um, Utah is going to be a tough challenge. Uh, Washington uh, is going to be a tough game, but... It's not out of the realm of possibility. And at that point, let's say that happens, you win all three of them, all of a sudden you're starting to talk about that again. So I think it's premature before those three games to say it's, right. it's out of the question. It's going to be very difficult when you, you look at the, the schedule down the stretch. But you get those wins, and then all of a sudden kind of the tone, and it would be the opposite of the way it is during the show right now. All of a sudden people are optimistic. And right, right. You know, maybe at that point you're, you're starting to see a change, but I mean, if you're putting a percentage on it, now you're—I I would put it somewhere around below 20% at this point. I look at the games that I, I would predict them to lose, which would go Arizona at home, at Utah, at Stanford, at Cal, at UCLA. So that's five, and then you have the Washington schools. Washington schools are coming to Boulder. I'm not crazy. Okay. Washington, I think, is a terrible matchup without Spencer Dinwiddie for, for CU. I think they would lose that one. So that's six more losses that I expect. And you still have a team like Arizona State, if they come into Boulder, that can beat them. You know, you still have a Utah team coming into Boulder that can beat them. That's six losses that I expect. So that right there gives you ten conference losses. So your best case scenario is, or in that scenario, would be 8 and 10. Assuming you lose none of the other ones that I think CU has a pretty good shot at winning. 8 and 10 in the Pac-12 conference with UCLA being as inconsistent as it's been. Now, some of the metrics still really like the Pac-12. But with UCLA being as inconsistent as it's been, with Oregon being as terrible as they've been lately... I, I, you would have to do damage in the Pac-12 tournament to get in at eight. Well, well to, to, to your you would have to without Spencer Dinwiddie, you would have to do damage, as in like get to the championship game. Yes, as in like beat Arizona in the semifinals. No, as in you need to win the Pac-12 championship. Depending on their matchup, if they if they were faced up against if they saw two of if they saw a UCLA and a Cal and beat both of them and then lost to Arizona in the Pac-12 title game, I think they're firmly on the bubble. I wouldn't necessarily know if I would put them in. Tyler, relax. You will have your chance. <laughs> I, I think that puts them firmly on the bubble. But if you face Arizona in the semifinals, 
or the quarterfinals or whatever it would be, you got to beat them because you need to rack up some wins. That's what I'd say. They don't need to beat Arizona in the title to be on the bubble. But, I, I mean, 8-10, and 10, you're, you're, you're looking at championship game in the Pac-12 tournament or bust. Yeah, that, that puts you at 5-9 and nine without Spencer. That's we're not. I, I don't see any way that we would get in in that scenario. I, I think, I think even if we finish nine and nine in conference play, we're looking at slim pickings. We're gonna have to find a way to go over five hundred in conference play because that puts you at. But it's still no here. bad losses. With ten, with with the losses that I just listed off, there's oh. not one of those that is a bad tournament loss. Utah or Washington at home. Utah will not be a bad loss. They're going to be a somewhere around 100 RPI school at home. That's no. I, 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 I didn't say they would lose to Utah at home. I said Utah on the road. Utah on the road is one of the two. You have Utah or Washington, though. Either one of those, you're going to be somewhere in, in the high. It's going to be above 75 RPI. That's not a resume killer. It's not if you're 22 and 8. And and you're not going five no. and nine down the stretch. That's no. the thing. You have to win those games. Like you, you can't. You get five and nine without Spencer is not going to get you in. Depends on who you lose to and who you beat. If they, I will say this: they would have a better chance getting in if they lose to a Washington State at home and a Washington at home, and, but beat Cal Stanford on the road and take care of some good teams at home like Utah, Arizona State, and. Take care of USC on the road. They have a better chance of doing that than my, getting in that way than my scenario. I because they they need wins without Spencer Dinwiddie. But even in the scenario I present, there's just not a resume killing loss in there. They, I think, and it's kind of playing into what both of you are saying. They have, they, and and they get the conference tournament wins that I was talking about. Yeah, but the, that's the, that's the, where it never make as big of an impact as people want them to. Like you see all the time people make a run in the tournament, and it still doesn't affect their seed line. It, it makes the difference between out and in, though. It won't take you from a 12 to an 8, but it'll take you to a 12 okay. or to a 13. Can we all agree on that the chances of us going to the Pac-12 championship game are <laughs> not very good. <laughs> so, okay. I think it's going to come down a lot to who they beat. And yeah. I think you, they have to prove to the selection committee that they can still beat good teams. And that, you know, they can do something in the tournament. Because if they, you know, let's say they, you know, beat Utah, Washington, Washington State at home, still haven't proved anything. I mean, then they're going to lose to UCLA on the road. Then they, they could beat USC, still haven't proved anything. Say so they beat Arizona Arizona State at home, lose to Arizona. That, all the committee is saying, okay, you can beat teams that aren't going to the tournament. That means nothing to us. They're going to have to have like a, an upset against Arizona at home or – you know, beat a UCLA on the road or, or even a Cal, they're going to have to show the committee that they can still beat good teams that are going to be in the tournament for them to get in, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think if, to get to 9-9 nine and nine in Pac-12 play, you're going to have to beat somebody on the road, most likely. Um, that's not USC. So you have an outside shot there because... There's obviously pressure. Stanford is a... I, I think Stanford any is of those a good la- Yeah, any of those last three... Road games, Utah, Cal, yeah. Stanford. If, if if we're sitting at eight and what would that be? Six. Eight and seven. In seven. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Going into those games and we get one, we'll give ourselves a shot because there's precedent to get in with a 500 conference record, especially in a good league like the Pac-12 yeah. is this year. At that point, it's just going to depend on, okay, you did what without Spencer? I mean, if, we're, if we get to ten and eight, we're in. Nine and nine still gives them a good shot because the committee is not throwing out everything that you did with Spencer. They're not right. Yeah, no, I mean nine and nine, you give yourself a chance. I agree, but eight and nine, I, I don't think there's any way. I think nine and nine, nine, and you avoid a disastrous loss in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament. You're in. It'll depend on a lot what the other global teams do, I guess. But we're we're still going to be they're going to be there's going to be a lot of sweating if we're yeah. I, I think I think we all agree there's going to be sweating no matter what. Come March, and, and Tad Boyle won't be welcoming to his, us into his home oh, like he has. No, because he's if they're anywhere close to the bubble, he doesn't want to see us. A party. He doesn't want to see us whatsoever. <laughs> well, well, this goes back. 
you're, you're talking about developing these players and, and playing for next year. Then is it better for this team to host a couple of games in the NIT and instead of, you know, most likely losing in the first round? No, no. I, because I think you get something from both scenarios. I really do because you host some teams in the NIT and you get more playing time for your guys. You get more practices, most importantly. I think that's big. Uh, and that, that can definitely help. But you go to the NCAA tournament, and you've made the NCAA tournament for three years in a row for the first time in the com- in, in the school's history. And you... People are talking about Yeah, you. people are still talking about what a job Coach Boyle did still getting his team to the NCAA tournament. Use that on the recruiting trail. Your freshmen get to experience the tournament. I mean, that's a big thing is, is freshmen getting to that moment. You know, I think against Illinois last year was obviously a little bit anticlimactic with the way that game was played for the most part, with and, and Colorado, of course, losing. But that was a good experience for Josh Scott and Xavier Johnson. They talked about that, what it was like to deal with the media hype beforehand, with the pageantry that is kind of shown out at these venues when they throw these events for the NCAA tournament. Uh, you gain something even if you go out in one game. You gain a lot of experience, especially as young guys. And that's why, you know, when, when CU was snubbed a couple of years ago and people were saying, you know, it was better for the program, they got more press. Yeah, they got a lot of press. But when you go into a recruit's home, selling an NCAA tournament will always be better than selling an NIT. It's not like they're Baylor and has $10,000 checks to write out to kids. And that's less of an accusation, more of a fact. But, you know, it's... it's <laughs> You can't do that when you're Colorado. You need things to sell. I completely agree. I just I was just yeah. posing the question. Yeah, and, and and I think when you talk when I talk about playing for next year, it goes back to the, my point of this is I do believe that they can still win some games with this roster and the way Coach Boyle is coaching them. Time will tell. But guys, if there is. Name your, you know, we're, we're kind of running tight on time, so let's keep it somewhat quick, but name your must-win game for CU to get in the tournament in terms of beating a, a, a must-win and a must-not-lose. Let's go that way. My must-not-lose under any circumstances is Washington State at home. Whatever you are trying to do. And I know earlier I said, you know, if you lose to Washington State and Washington at home, but sweep the Bay Area, I can see it, but... You, you, you can't put yourself in that position. You cannot lose to Washington State in Boulder, Colorado, the Coors Event Center. You cannot do it. You're a must win. I, I'm a, I guess I'll go with two quick ones. I think you've got to beat Cal at home. I think, you've got, I think you've got to beat Arizona State at home. I'll go with those two. For me, it's not one particular game. We The next three home games are all must-win scenarios. Otherwise, we're sitting at 6-5 and five with five out of our last seven games on the road. And I don't see any way we're getting three of those. So I, for me, we got to be 7-4 and four after these three home games to give ourselves a chance to get into the tournament. Unless there's a big turnaround of that, that wouldn't exactly be evidenced by losing the three at home. Right, yeah. I mean, you, right, right. Of course. Yeah, of course. theoretically, you're, if we lose to Washington or Utah at home, that odds, shows odds suggest yes. we're not going to be yes. you know, winning yeah. these games on the trash. I think we need all three. For me, it's this Saturday against Utah. This tone of this whole show has been obviously negative for a reason, and I think they need to come out on Saturday. And this is you know, one of the most improved teams in, in, in the conference. In the country, maybe, maybe, yeah. So this is going to be a tough test, and I think they're desperate for a win at this point. As far as on the road, uh, you know, I think at Stanford, that's a game that you can win. You look at the road games, and so that, that's a game that they need to be able to pull out as well. Um, can't lose, um, you know, obviously Washington State without Lacey and then at Southern Cal. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. I think uh, this this Saturday against Utah is the biggest one. Um, I kind of think <coughs> if they lose that, then um, the players start you know hanging their heads a little bit. Um, the fans don't really show up the next weekend. Um, that makes it harder to beat a Washington State. And then must not lose. I, I just think it's USC on the road. That's a team that even without Spencer Dinwiddie, you're still much much better than they showed that. You can't lose that, but. Real quick, I just wanted to talk about something that we didn't get a chance to touch on. Oh, I think it, it, it has to do with Spencer Dinwiddie. 
you know, every everything we're talking about here is, is assuming Spencer's gone next year. In my opinion, and this is just this is just a theory that I have. There's nothing based this off of. If this team really goes into the tank down this stretch here, I think that actually encourages Spencer to come back. Um, I think in his mind he's helped build something here, and if he has to watch it crash and burn for the rest of this season and, you know, they're dropping games to Washington State at home or, you know, USC on the road, I think that is something that encourages Spencer and Dinwiddie to come back. I don't know if I agree, but I think we're, we're going to talk more about that as the year goes on. Guys, great discussion today. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you when the Buffs take on Utah on Saturday.